Bonnaby is the premier podcast spotlighting people of color. Every week, we talk news, what we've been playing, and tell you who's invited to the cookout. Our show is all about talking about gaming through a prism of blackness, because we are the culture. Welcome to Bukaka, y'all. Yo, what up everybody here in Spawn on Me land in Bracago. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a wonderful day. This is the Spawn on Me podcast with Khalif Adams. I'm your host, Khalif Adams, coming to you live in full effect from the basement in Bracago. Coming to you live in full effect wherever you may be, wherever you may reside, wherever you are having good vibes. That's where you will find me. You will find Spawn on Me. You will find the wonderfulness that is our show. I'm hoping that you had a wonderful week. It has been a really good one here in Bracago. We have so much love and hate coming our way that it just makes you feel great. It's that beautiful yin-yang of dopeness and terribleness that's happening on the internet because the internet does that stuff all the time. But what I will say is that if you focus on the negative, that's all you're going to get. Like, all you're going to get is negativity in your mind and body and soul, and that's not the thing that you want. So please don't do that. Have good people in your life who can uplift you. Have good people in your life who can set you straight and tell you to, to keep on the straight and narrow. Have good people in your life who will absolutely stand by you and represent for you for all the goodness that you bring into the world. And I have that in spades, not only with all of you at home who are listening here on twitch.tv slash spawn on me, but you know, folks who are listening on the podcast side of it, folks who are listening on the social media side of it, and some of our friends who are in our twat, uh, in our twat, <laughs> in our chat tonight here on the stream. <laughs> what a wonderful flub on that one. Anyway, we have a lot of conversations about those kinds of folks in, in the stream today to talk about. But in the grand scheme, I'm having a pretty great week. Uh, we had a little bit of a scare here at the house uh, with a gas leak that I found out yesterday, which was not great. But in the grand scheme of everything... We're playing some dope video games which is the best time in the planet to play some video games is the best time in the planet to be a fan of games. It is the best time in the planet to have great folks who make content around you, be around you and help to uplift you and support you in all of those ways. So, um, Again, we have a jam-packed show today, a lot of good conversations. I want to do a little bit of teach and learn, and also we have some great conversations around three games that I've been playing or had a chance to play in the most recent uh, couple of weeks. One is Forza Horizon, uh, Forza uh, Motorsport, I'm sorry. Uh, I had a chance to check out a preview there. Had a full two-hour session with the latest Assassin's Creed game, Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed Mirage, and... To cap off the end of the show, we're going to be reviewing Mortal Kombat 1, which is one of the biggest games on the planet. Thank you to our friends over at WB and Warner Brothers for providing us early copies of the game so we could get a get our groove on, get my rating on, and provide all of you this wonderful review that we're going to talk through uh, during this show. Uh, I would have done a kind of normal review that we've seen in the YouTube spaces and the video spaces, um, but we got code really late. So instead of doing a full, you know, video treatment that we usually do, uh, we're going to talk through a review uh, on the show today. And hopefully that will be uh, informative for all of you at home. Shout out to Zhang Pao in the chat. Shout out to Vicious696 in the chat. Shout out to Royal Martin in the chat. Shout out to PS Witch and all the other wonderful folks who are here, Arctic and crew, uh, for coming through this week. To get it started, we're going to get deep into the weeds and talk a little bit about marketing with the 411. Thank you. 
So first story up this week was one that was a little bit interesting and weird. Uh, I was on the Twitters. I'm sorry, X x.com when you say x.com it just sounds like you're going to a porn site there is no way to make that sound sexy or reasonable or decent it just sounds like you're going somewhere to go handle your business by yourself in the in your in, in your lonesome I, I don't want people to think of our show we already get a lot of conversation about the name of our show and people thinking it's dirty because of the, the term spawn that happens in the beginning of our show again not a dirty show we are classy here we are we we believe in good clean fun even when i'm using a british accent and cussing people out which again also last week if you if you listen to the show last week thank you second of all had a lot of great feedback about that episode because of my wonderful new cockney accent which was which was terrible um but the point got across um, and in the uh, continued effort to kind of hopefully uh, give some good energy and good knowledge to the internet in, in, in ways that matter and try to bring some nuance to a conversation, there was a article that went up today or yesterday uh, that was talking about Starfield and the sentiment that now that the game has been out and that, <laughs> just look at chat, oh my God, uh, y'all are great and dirty. Um, where the premise was that the folks at Bethesda basically catered favor by giving certain outlets access early. And what winds up happening after that is this sentiment that because Bethesda gave early access to some creators and some content outlets, that that laid the foundation for really good scores in the beginning. And now that the game has been out for a couple of days or maybe even a week or so. Now we're seeing the real reviews come out from all the other folks who didn't get early access and potentially were clouded in their judgment because of getting early access code to one of the biggest games of the year. Um, so I went through and, and read the article and it's a, not great article on Forbes. Usually the folks that I pay attention to on there are Paul Tassie. Paul Tassie does a great job of, of kind of digging into the news of the, of the week and the news of the day. And, and, and some of that, you know, is, is, is just really brilliant stuff. I think the opening line is the one that I want to kind of read because it goes into the kind of premise of what this article is going to be. And I'll read it word for word. It says bad news for Starfield. Microsoft and Bethesda carefully chose to send review codes to, which might not have been why the original bevy of reviews were so glowing. Now that more reviews are filtering in for outlets that started playing at launch, the picture is a bit grim. Recently, I shared the most outrageously harsh review the game has received from Jim Stephanie Sterling, called it, who, who called it a shallow ocean. Today, this is the art, this is the, the, the writer saying, today I share a somewhat less damning piece, but one that still calls up as a space RPG for its data graphics, mechanics, and overall design. The review from Metro's David Jenkins gives it a three out of five stars or a six out of 10, 60%. So the article goes down the line of, of saying, you know, let's look at other reviews that people have given like Donkey and other folks who have been in that space who have shared negative reviews about this game. And the last, uh, the last paragraph says, um, I'm still working through my 
working through Starfield, and I suppose the verb I just choose, I'm sorry, I suppose the verb I just chose does a lot of heavy lifting. I'm not having the best time. It's not bad by any means, but it's also just not that good either. I mean, just watch this No Man's Sky video, which they share. Uh, and this is what I thought we'd get in Scott in Scott in, I'm sorry, in Starfield. At the bare minimum, just to be able to fly around the spaceship above various planets, why is this not an option? Why? This comes from Eric Kane over at Forbes. So this is this is uh, I, I want to dig into this because I feel like there's a layer here that that continues to kind of happen within this conversation. I shared a quote tweet after reading that article, which says Fun fact, this happens on pretty much every game I've ever reviewed. Now, I've been in the gaming industry for over 10 years now. In the past six or seven years is when, you know, we've gotten a lot more prominent uh, coverage. We've been able to go and work with other folks who were, you know, bigger than us. And to give fair and, and reasonable transparency, our show isn't the biggest podcast on the planet. We want more people to listen to the show. We want more listeners to, to, to be engaged with us. We want a bigger, you know, we want to be kind of funny when we get to, at some point. We want to be What's Good Games or DLC in, in one of those categories of major shows that has a ridiculous amount of people listening to it. And the, the rest of the tweet goes, outside of the Eurogamer conversation, which if you've been paying attention to the larger one about you know, Eurogamer not getting codes um, as a big outlet from Bethesda when everybody else who got uh, uh, early coverage did, again, came off as weird. So it says, outside of the Eurogamer convo, which was weird, uh, most marketing sends code based on a bunch of various factors. To make this practice seem nefarious is silly pants. There are, co there are companies that I don't get access to as well. Not everything is about favoritism. And that set off a wild shitstorm of tweets. At, at the moment that I look at that tweet, that tweet has been viewed 206,000 times with 91 replies, 112 retweets uh, or quotes, and a thousand, you know, almost... 1100 people liking it and people bookmarking it the people who are bookmarking it are definitely going to try to use that against me at some point in the near future and what the interesting layer of all of these conversations have happened in that discourse has been one there's an idea that if a company gives an outlet early access that that sways that automatically sways the reviewer's opinion and their ability to be uh, uh, neutral when giving a review, right? The other part of this is this weird sentiment that the that that the gaming industry is still mega corrupt in the way that it winds up happening in the ways that you know review scores go and how this winds up happening. Currently, I think uh, Starfield is around like 86 on Metacredit or something to that effect. And supposedly, a lot of the secondary reviews that came out afterward dropped the score down from, you know, high 80s to mid 80s. I had one person in one of my in one of the tweets was like, if this doesn't show you that this is there's, there's a corrupt nature in the space where the game went from an 89 to an 80, 84 at the high end 91 and at the low end 87 
then I don't know what to tell you and you're a part, you're a shill and you're a part of the, the thing that's wrong in gaming. And my response to that was, if you are nitpicking the difference between a 91 and an 87 on Metacritic, there is nothing that could have been said to satisfy you in any of the conversations. Just say you're a hater and let's keep it moving. Because the conversation here has been multi-layered about why companies get uh, and outlets get conversations, I'm sorry, get codes early. What does that mean for you as a potential smaller outlet? Are there conversations where some outlets do have an affinity and work their way into that, into that space? Absolutely. But the overarching thing is this. Most ways that this works, and from the time that I've seen it in the, in the space that I've worked, both on the dev side and on the, the press side and, influ and influencer side, is games, depending upon how big they are and across the board, have various levels in which the marketing uh, campaign will go. You usually have a ramp up that starts the process to get people excited and get people hyped about when, when the game is coming out. You see a lot of that stuff wind up coming out into into ads, into you know people getting seated, you know, uh, uh, you know, gear or any of that kind of stuff. And then you have the reviews go out, and every PR, every PR person, every marketer, every person who's working on the community side, absolutely has whatever that list looks like of varying degrees of who potentially will get what yeah folks who are really big in terms of their 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 uh visibility and their reach and their audience you have folks that are that are smaller but do really good work and that gets taken into account you have other folks who may have, who may be like hardcore fans and just happen to be influencers as well that often sometimes get put into that categories as well. They wind up usually working a little bit different where usually folks who work on the community side will work with those folks as opposed to folks directly just working on the PR and marketing side. But PR, but community is kind of uh, under the umbrella of PR and marketing anyway. So the idea that outlets should one get code automatically is stupid that doesn't make a lot of sense two for all the people who are mad about the hierarchy of the way this works and are automatically tying that to favoritism that sounds more like a fanboy conversation than it does anything else because if you really understood how marketing works you as a marketer and a person on the pr side absolutely want to show your product in the best light that is never not a thing. People have come to this conversation with all these extra layers of thought about, well, what about the art of journalism? I don't know what that's supposed to mean. What about favoritism in here? Favoritism doesn't get you good reviews all the time. And to be fair, what most people who I've seen have these conversations will ask for is one, be professional about the, the, the critiques that you share and don't just say game is bad, fix it game is shitty, don't play it, which is very different than saying, these systems don't work in the ways that I had hoped. And some of the things that we see here are a little bit different than what we were marketed. There's a difference in the way that those two conversations work and the ways that marketers and PR folks will receive that information and be able to use that as good ways to discern how to share that up to a dev team and also good ways to share that across the rest of marketing for the way that the rest of the campaign will work. 
everyone in my mentions give me multiple versions of this is just another version of the hypocrisy and the uh, entrenched version of favoritism that we see in the video game space. When it really comes down to y'all don't understand how marketing works and how PR works and how folks are thinking in this way work and what the process looks like for when you're doing that work. Why would you not think that a company that has spent millions upon millions of dollars, not only in the development of a game and a product, but in the marketing of that product is going to be like, hey, person who hates my company, I'm going to give you a code. That makes no damn sense in any version of the realities that any of you live in. That makes no sense. That doesn't give you an objective review. That gives a code to a hater for no reason when they can buy that code and spend money in hate. Why am I going to give you the ability to shit on my product when that does nothing for the way that a campaign would work? That makes no sense. Of course, somebody will hear that and read that and be like, well, Ka, again, that's exactly what is the problem with the way that games are shown these days. But I would tell you in the, in the, in the reverse conversation is that you really have to understand why PR is a part of this conversation. PR, in no matter what version of video game sphere you live in, if you're on the press side, you're on the influence side, if you're a fan, if you're a creator, if you're a consumer, you are touching marketing in some form or fashion anyway. Depending upon how much of that you need to influence your work is very different. If you're just a consumer, you're looking at the things that PR is putting out and you're saying, okay, you have shown me parts of this game from your perspective. You show me a trailer, you've done a stream, you've gone on a podcast and talked about it. You've done all this work to help to get me to potentially buy this thing that I potentially would want. I am building hype for you as a consumer. As an influencer, same thing. The only difference is I may want to work with you to help amplify that, that messaging in a way that then captures a lot of folks and captures mindshare so that the folks who are on the consumer level will want to buy our game and participate within that process. You then go up to the media and press side of it, and the media and press side of it is, hey, we'll give you access. All we want you to do is cover the game. Most folks will not ask you on the PR side if they are worth their salt to give any version of coverage, negative or positive. The biggest difference is when you're on that layer, we, as folks who are working on that media and influencer side of the fence, will discern different ideas about how good that game is going to be and its readiness, depending upon how early we get code for it. So for instance, I knew Mortal Kombat was going to be a banger anyway. That game doesn't have to do a lot to be really that great. It has to not botch a couple of things, but it has to stay pretty true to what that game is. That game is an easy game to review. I got that game three days ago, finished the campaign, and now I can talk to you about, about what that game is in a reasonable form and fashion. A game like Starfield, which is m hundreds of hours big, will take a lot longer for you to really understand all the intricate systems that work within that conversation to make that game a reasonable property. Most people who shared reasonable conversations or, or, or discussions about that game from a nuanced position were able to tell you what they liked about that game and what they didn't like about that game. Not hard. But... If you ask fanboys and you ask folks who, who write these articles like this one on Forbes, 
the folks who have made that decision to share the negative review now are the ones who have the truth about the product and the folks who 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 had that early review access are the ones who are shills and they're not saying this on forums but this is the this is the the sentiment that comes along with that that filters itself to the audience and they run with it is that those uh, those folks who got that early access must have been paid must have gotten free shit must have gotten some other stuff some of us definitely did get free stuff that's a part of a marketing campaign did that change my review or most of the folks who have been doing this for a long time's review no we already understand that we have done enough good work to be able to talk about a thing in an objective way and to be able to give reasonable feedback to the teams and the marketing teams to be able to understand where the game lands in terms of all of its stuff. For all of this stuff to now pop up now a couple of weeks after the process also tells me that 90% of the people who are having this argument, again, have no idea how the process works. And that is amazingly frustrating because you have to also understand that now we are past the initial layer of the review process. The review process is done. You've already seen Bethesda put up the accolades, you know, not trailer yet, but the like graphic that shows all the, the, the high marks uh, for, for what they got. If you think that another, because uh, another another part of that conversation was, oh, look at all these Xbox-related uh, uh, um, outlets that got high scores and stuff. I'll say two things about that. One, I don't know if those folks are in a space where they're like, I need to showcase to these folks that if we give them a good, spo- uh, a good score, that we'll get more stuff, we'll get more access. I've seen people do that. That's reasonable. Uh, for people to do that. The other layer of that is, does the conversation from the Bethesda PR team, which has been pretty consistent, is that they're giving codes to folks in various layers of the, the funnel. We, as a not big outlet, got a code. We got codes two weeks before the game came out because those folks understand that the work that I do is reasonable and smart and good. Most of the other folks got you know, uh, uh, coverage early too. The folks from Kind of Funny got early coverage. They have a mix of both really good and smart work and they have a large audience. So now do those folks who have a large audience automatically get put into the shill category because they have gotten a thing earlier than other people? Now again, Eurogamer not getting a code early is weird. There are some other creators who have been blacklisted who didn't get a code and that's been a whole other thing that they have to deal with. Also not great. But the most part is like now with this part where we were about a week or two after a couple weeks after that, no one's going to cover the game anymore in that way. That's just not the way this works. Any review scores that come in, they go into the aggregate for what you're going to wind up doing from a marketing perspective to understand what that means for the campaign overall. When you do the postmortem on that and say, oh, this campaign did really well. We had this kind of sentiment. These amount of people liked it. These amount of people didn't like it. But expecting a 70 score to go on an accolade graphic or asset is stupid because that's not the way that works. Let me tell you that this team who we gave a code to didn't score it well. Let me put that in there. That's anti. That goes against what you do in marketing. You're constantly trying to show the best light off your uh, for your product. So people who are like trying to figure out how to talk about this in a way that is, you know, 
tin ho- tin 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 foil hat versions of this just don't make a lot of sense. It makes no sense for folks to not understand the difference between favoritism and being selective in who you give free stuff to. That is the way that this has been for all of the time that marketing has been a part of games. This is the way it's been for any marketing campaign you've ever seen on the planet. Most people aren't going to give access to people who have been talking shit or not been favorable to their stuff. Does that mean that that equals favoritism? No. That means you want the best light for your for your product to show. So all these folks who are having this conversation in this Forbes article, which is trying to equate the the negative parts of that conversation to the positive layers of it without understanding how the marketing works, that is mind-blowing to me. That has no that makes no sense to me whatsoever in the way that people talk about this. And it's like mad comments my way over the past 24 hours about how that works. And I'm just like, you guys don't understand how any of this works. And then when someone tries to tell you how it works, you call them a shill. So I'm like, I don't know what to tell y'all. Y'all, y'all are just going to fail at this over and over and over again and continue the cycle of dumb shit that winds up continuing to happen in the video game industry in the ways that we've seen for the past decade. I want the audience to be smarter, but the audience also has to be able to understand and take information in a way that is not so personal and is not in your feels all the time. This has nothing to do with your feels. If you are, again, a person who is weary of the PR cycle, this is for all of you consumers at home who are hearing this and going to bookmark this and share this as Khalif is a show. You have a ability to help this along by not participating. Don't get excited. Don't be a first adopter. Don't buy stuff day one. There are multiple things you can do if you are the person who is saying that all of these things are corrupted, but continue to be a part of the cycle and then get mad at the cycle. That's your fault. There's no, no that's your fault. You have to figure that out. There's a there's a, a, a message in the chat. Lev says, uh, you know, look at this the Spider-Man event that happened uh, over the, the past couple of days. Um, he's saying he didn't see any East Coast creators. They had a lot of folks from international spaces come over and, and, and go into some of those sessions. I didn't get an invite to that session. I didn't get an invite to, to Sony's event. I'm a, I'm a fairly well-known creator in the space. Again, we've done work with Sony over the years and PlayStation over the years. We've gotten codes for them for, for, for games and stuff. I didn't get an invite to to that particular uh, uh, game. Uh, so, you know, I'm not, but I'm also not a person who's like crying on Twitter about all the things I'm not getting because I also understand that like PR has multiple reasons in the way that they invite certain people. And sure, if I'm a person who is not getting things from Sony, is that a worry for me? Yes and no, because one, I feel like I've done the work to deserve to be able to get some of this stuff uh, in terms of access. And when I say deserve, I mean, I, I want the opportunity to be at some of these things. But also, if I don't, I can buy the game and, and, and play it and review it. So like, these are all the things that are in that, in that conversation that people are missing. Another part of this conversation, and this is going a little bit long, so we'll, we'll tighten it up, is for all the folks who are mad about this and being like, well, Xbox did this, Bethesda did this, and Sony doesn't do that. 
Sony does the same thing when it comes to marketing. They have their own versions of who they want to pick for certain activity activities and activations based on a lot of different criteria that some of those things we know and some of those things we don't know and some of those things we'll never know. And that's also fine. The last layer of this I think is really wild to me is for all the people who are complaining and fussing about this, I find it really interesting that no one has tied the red thread that everybody's doing on that weird board that you have when you're trying to solve a mystery of why all of these other folks who are now coming to the conversation with these reviews, if they are throwing negative numbers at this, is this another version of review bombing that we've seen happen and be a prevalent thing in the space for a long time now? Sure. I'm not going to fully say that those aren't legitimate reviews and be like, those folks are haters because I think everyone, even the folks who have given it really uh, high praise and the folks who are pointing that out and being like, well, they have Xbox in their name. Those folks have done enough work to be able to get a code from Bethesda, which is a hard thing to do as a small outlet. They work with various folks, but they work with really smart people who are pretty well ingrained in the space and folks who were there opening that up to, to more creators. But a lot of those folks have been doing that work. I've known folks on those sides of the fence in various fashions for almost a decade. So to not understand that those are again, a, a part of the way this works as opposed to being like, this is nefarious and this is shady and not looking at the actual process of what this means from a game development perspective. I don't expect you to, to understand it and like it, but you should at least understand how it works so that you can talk about it intelligently and smartly. So that's my last part of that conversation. I hope that that was informative to folks at home. I know a lot of folks in the industry listen to the show. I'm hoping that some of the haters who were giving me shit will listen to this and understand that this is not me beefing with y'all, but this is me trying to give you good advice so that you don't get a heart attack on Twitter and on social media saying dumb shit out loud. I want you to all be better too, so that you can have good conversations and reasonable conversations. You don't sound like fanboys and people who have been rocking Reynolds rap hats for God knows how long. So with all that said, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what we've been playing. First up on what we've been playing is Assassin's Creed Mirage preview. I know y'all heard me drinking. I heard slurp. Anyway, uh, I got a chance to play about two hours of Assassin's Creed Mirage, uh, which is pretty damn good like as a person who has been excited for um <laughs> has been excited for the game getting a chance to preview it uh and seeing the new uh you know uh, locale and the way that this game is going to be coming across it felt very much like assassin's creed but i think the thing that i that I came away from it with that was actually pretty telling and, and fantastic was this feels like a more refined Assassin's Creed. Um, this now going back into spaces where you're learning more about this, the, the main character, which I believe his name is Balsam. Um, and going through uh, the journey of becoming an assassin, which which feels like a, a, a kind of usual part of the Assassin's Creed um, experience. 
um, getting a chance to check it out and feeling the the mechanics and how good they feel. And, you know, as a person who has not played a Assassin's Creed game in a while, you know, last one I played was the one with Cassandra as the, as the main um, protagonist. The maneuverability of the game feels much better. You feel much more sleek and able to kind of track down your, your opponents and enemies in a, in a way that feels good. Again, Assassin's Creed and the folks from Ubi do a great job of world building in a game like this where uh, you're getting a chance to play and, and you're seeing footage of my, my gameplay uh, during the process of, of me getting my time in. Um, it just feels really good to have another Assassin's Creed full game out in the world. Again, if you're a person who's not high on Assassin's Creed, then this is not a game that's going to kind of like you know, turn your head in the same ways that we'd usually seen. If you're an Assassin's Creed fan, I think this game is going to be dope for folks who are going to be playing this thing. One of the things that I found to be extremely fun and really awesome was when I went into this game, uh, one of the things that they had been touting has been that all of the VO, you can do a full switch of the VO to all be in Arabic, which I thought was really fantastic because it again adds to the the flavor of the locale and in the setting and it was just really nice to be able to hear the arabic language spoken in this way throughout the entirety of of the gameplay and knowing that fans who come from regions where uh arabic is spoken mostly that they will be seen in the ways that we hope people are being able to be seen i think a lot of the times that we see um uh uh, uh you know, representation of the Muslim world or, or of Arabic, it's always been kind of bastardized versions of it. Friend of the show, Rami Ismail, has been a person who's been championing that for a long time to be able to kind of fix that within games. And I think Ubi has done a really good job in terms of the way that they take care with the language and they take care with the setting and they take care with the the, the, the cultural layers of that game. And it really did bring something really special to the game in a way that I don't think a lot of folks may necessarily connect with, but to know that they have taken the, the painstaking time to do that work well has been something I always want to applaud Ubisoft for doing. I think because they are a, a multicultural um, company with multiple uh, studios in, in various parts of the world, they are the best equipped to be able to do that work in a way that feels smart, competent, and um, fulfilling to the folks who who will see that cultural um, those cultural touchstones and feel at home with them. So that was great. I had a blast with it. There's some stuff in there that I that I can't show, uh, and I think I've cut off the the um, the footage before before you'll see it. But I love the 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 assassins crew that you wind up pulling in. I think there are some. Uh, amazing voice actors in that in that mix that that when you get a chance to play and they've showed a little bit a bit of this uh, during their um, their preview periods for some of this for some of the game and some of the marketing material that is really going to shine in this game. I think you know the 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 main teacher that you have as Balsam uh, is brilliant. I love her voice. I can't remember her name right now off the top of my head, but she's fantastic in the ways that she showcases. The, the 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 energy of the space and the energy of becoming an assassin and be, being a part of the the brotherhood in this way 
in the beginning sequence that that you wind up going into to showcasing your talents and getting to show you the moment where you become a part of the of the clan is probably one of my favorite versions of that moment that we understand uh if you've been a fan of the lore of that game for a very long time i think they nail that stuff and the 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 clothing and the 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 kind of costuming that is that is within this game again pulling and evoking a lot of the 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 energy and the cultural pieces of 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 the landscape there give these assassins a very different look in a way that i think is probably one of their best ones yet uh, to date at this point i was like looking at those i was like oh man i want that to be a if i was gonna ever cosplay i'd cosplay from this era of the assassin's creed universe because of the way they've done the costuming and, and showcase those things and built the lore um so assassin's creed is coming I, i'm dying to play more of it I had a blast with my time of it. The combat feels really good and competent. Traversal feels a lot smoother in a way that I always had a little bit of problem with. It always felt like there was these little bit of these hitches when you were playing um, the game before. Uh, Sharia Agra. I'm going to say that name terribly. I'll find it and share it because I don't want to mispronounce her name because she's amazing. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely going to botch that. I need to, I need a good pronunciation of that name so I can get it right. All that to say, I'm excited for this game. I think as a person who has been out of the Assassin's Creed space for a minute, this has gotten me back in, in a, in a real way. I'm, I'm, I'm hyped to go back into that, that, that landscape, into that place, into that setting, into that world and, and get my, my stab on my assassinations on, um, second preview that I got a chance to check out uh in the past couple of days was one for forza mortis motorsport um got a chance to go check out the game i was not at the event uh that happened in in la uh a couple weeks ago um but uh i got a chance to play the game on my console and i have to say this is the prettiest forza that i've had a chance to see when turn 10 uh talked about how they were making this the next gen version of this game I it, it it looks like butter. It looks gorgeous. It is super pretty. You'll get excuse me. I just had to burp. You'll get a couple of different performance modes. So you get a thirty frames per second mode. You get a sixty frame, sixty frame uh, performance mode. And then you'll get this kind of RT performance mode. That's the in between where you'll get varying degrees of of resolution, but you'll get a little bit of ray tracing. I played this on the 30 frames per second full world uh, ray tracing version of it. And it felt totally fine to me. Like it, it looked great. It drove great. It felt fantastic. It's a really condensed version of the game. It is not the full game at all, but from the preview, it got me really excited to play again. We, we talked a little bit about this on uh, unlocked that just got shared today. So go check that out on IGN uh, for the episode that I was on co-hosting with the, with the team. Um, and I have to say, as a person who is not a mega car head, I, this is a game that feels way more accessible than a lot of the previous Motorsports games. I think the ability to tune and to upgrade your car has been made a lot easier uh, and made it into one of those things where if you're not a gearhead, you can make a lot of those changes in a way that doesn't throw you off and doesn't feel overwhelming but gives you the the kind of advantages that you can get from 
the tuning of a car that you would want in a game like this. This is a racer. This is not a driver. This is a game that is more akin to Gran Turismo, but also pulls in so many wonderful things like the real-time uh, weather stuff, the, the the way that the game looks from a, from a car perspective. All of those things are, again, true to life in all the ways that you would expect them to be. You know, sitting in the cockpit view, you see things in a way that just really does show you exactly what it looks like inside those cars. And if you're a gearhead and a, and a car lover, you're going to be in heaven when you play a game like this. So I had a chance to play that. It was really good. Fantastic. Really dope. I'm excited to play more of that when it drops. Hyped to play that for sure. Uh, alongside a, a lot of other games that I'm still having. I'm still working my way through. Uh, so Forza is going to be a, a, a banger of a game. I can't wait to, re to to review it. I'm really hyped for it. I can't wait to dig into photo mode on this again. We had a wonderful friend of the show, you know, do a livery for our game, uh, uh, for our show in, in game. I'm hoping to maybe do that again and get a new, you know, Spawn of Me logo up in the game and do some real cool stuff there. Game is a banger. What I got a chance to play, it is very, very good. Last but not least for this episode of Spawn of Me, we're going to dig into the game that you might have seen me streaming a little bit earlier today if you were on our Twitch channel is Mortal Kombat 1, which again, massive love and shout out to our friends over at uh, WB for g giving us early access. Uh, I, I am in love with what NetherRealm has been doing. I think NetherRealm has continued to build the case for one of the best, if not best, fighting game studios on the planet. They combine everything from technical expertise to storytelling in their uh, in their um, story mode to visual flair to in like comedic in jokes to fan service through amazingly and gory fatalities in a way that no other studio has really been able to do. I think we've seen some of that happen on the Street Fighter VI side of things. But even within that space, they've done some really interesting and uh, kind of um, smart things with the glow up that those characters have been given in that space. But what has been really fantastic to see Mortal Kombat 1 do is not only do fan service, but flip things on its head with the, with the way that they're talking about story. So I'm not going to dig into story spoilers because the game is not even out yet. Um, I finished the campaign in a little bit over seven hours or so. Um, the campaign doesn't feel as long as MK11's story mode. And maybe I need to, to clock it. I never really paid attention to how long I was playing the story mode because I was just so engrossed with the story. But I think if I were to think about how long I played, it was probably about six to seven hours to finish the entire campaign. And the synopsis is from what they've shared in the marketing material has been Liu Kang at the end of MK11 had a battle with one of the major characters of Chronica. Chronica was the character who was trying to basically remake all of the realms, Outworld and Earthrealm in her image and Netherrealm in her image and basically find the perfect mismatch of the time continuums to be able to kind of craft the world in the way that she wanted. At the end of that game, here's a spoiler for the end of Mortal Kombat 11, you could either 
have Shang Tsung take over and be the, 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 the keeper of time, or Liu Kang could be the keeper of time. In the beginning of this story, Liu Kang has won that fight and is now remaking the world in his own image and has retconned and basically changed the course of the Mortal Kombat universe forever and has rearranged, you know, some of the backstories and origin stories of some of our favorite characters like uh, Scorpion and and, and Sub-Zero, you know, folks like Johnny Cage. and, And, you know, there are a lot of people who are, you know, returning to the game. And also some returning characters who were ones who came into the into the game in various different uh, iterations of the game. So you're seeing folks from Deadly Alliance, UMK3, lots of other uh, characters who are, you know, tertiary characters on the side who are now getting either a full treatment or are now coming in in the new system that they've used called the cameo system that I'll talk about in a second. This is one of the best stories I've seen from NetherRealm in the way that they have used that foundational um, storyline to really bring something special to the MK universe in the way that they have reimagined a lot of these stories that we've known to come and love over the past decade or 30 years now because they're celebrating their 30th anniversary. And I have to say, this was one of the best campaigns I've seen in a long time. I think the way that this resolves itself for at least this iteration gives them amazing ways that they can move the rest of the universe forward in ways that I kind of understood but once you see the execution on that you get really excited about the future of what Mortal Kombat will be and as a big Mortal Kombat fan that makes me really excited not only for whatever the next Mortal Kombat game will be down the line but Thinking about the way characters come into this story, thinking about the way that they have marketed this game, thinking about the ways that new characters will come through combat packs and other stuff like that. This is going to be a really fun time for Mortal Kombat fans because I have a feeling we're going to see wild characters come back. We're going to see folks who you haven't seen in a long time come back. We're going to see those folks either come back as cameos or, or main character roster folks in a, in a, in a, in a big way. Um, but what changes this game is the cameo system. The cameo system is basically a tag system where some characters from the universe are now usable in the middle of a fight. So you're having your main character fight and then you can bring in a cameo character to extend a combo, to block something, to, to influence the fight in a way that we hadn't seen before. And those parts uh, are what's going to make Mortal Kombat 1 what I think when it comes to the fighting game tournament scene, one of the most interesting fighting games that we're going to see in a very long time. Of course, strategy is going to be a big part of that conversation when you see a thing like Tekken or or you know any of these games, Tekken and Street Fighter, but in terms of the swag variant or the swag quotient, I think this game is going to be the swaggiest game, and I've said this a couple of times that we've seen in a long time. I think it's going to be one of the most uh, kind of intricate games in terms of what that means so that you can have your main character be entirely different in the way that you go about a fight because of the cameo that you pick what does that cameo do how does that cameo interact with with the with the world how do you you know some characters give you buffs some give you debuffs some give you ways to block some give you ways to traverse the 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 battlefield 
And all of those things are going to be things you're going to be thinking about in real time while you're fighting, setting up characters, going into the process of a fight. I've not seen anything like this in a very long time because you have multiple moves with a camp with a cameo, depending upon which way you press. All of those things is going to be a really dope time to be able to see what that's going to be for the future of that game. The third and kind of last pillar of of what I think is going to be really important for the Mortal Kombat universe is this new mode that is a little bit new, but also a little bit old. It is called the um, uh, Invasion Mode. And Invasion Mode is like the crypt from previous games. But what makes this game, uh, what makes this mode different is that alongside the fight that you wind up getting into during your time in this mode, you're getting lots of different things for your character. You're getting gear for your character to, you can change the cosmetics on it. You're getting um, new fatalities, new brutalities. You're getting all of these different things that are in the mix for what that game is going to wind up being. And you're even getting uh, really interesting things like a little bit of RPG-ness in some of these things as well. You're getting the ability to uh, assign uh, uh, points to your characters so that when you're in these fights, you're able to do more damage or block things or any of those kinds of things. You're able to do that for your cameo as well. You're able to do and add certain things like, you know, swap out your your cameo in the middle of your invasion round your main character in the main invasion round and all of those characters get xp they get xp for gear they get xp for building out their kind of progression track that they have which will give you some of those things like brutalities fatalities and and other pieces of flair and it's a much deeper system than I expected for what this mode was going to wind up being. I thought this was going to really just be another version of Crypt, where after you finish the Crypt and unlocked everything, you really didn't have a lot to do after that. This is going to give you hours of stuff to do. Hours of stuff to do. And I think that's the thing that's going to be the most exciting for what this mode is going to wind up being. And, and it's pretty brilliant in the way that they have laid this out because there are so many things to do they're going to be and what's going to be interesting is that you're going to be leveling up all of your roster characters to get some of the goodies that are in there so even if you're uh you know i'm a raiden main even if you're playing as raiden that's literally just 35 levels of that one character that means i have to do 35 levels of each of these characters to get all of the cool stuff that goes along with those characters which for me just speaks to how full this game is and how much they have done that really great fan service to fans who are, you know, diehard folks in the, in the space and folks like, you know, newbies who are coming to this and, and maybe MK isn't their, their main game, but is definitely a part of the overall, you know, ecosystem that they want to be a part of in those conversations. I think, this is one of those most solid, well thought out, you know, base games that you're going to get that has a ton of content. And then we haven't even seen the combat packs yet with folks like Homelander and um, Quan Chi and, you know, other and, and, and uh, oh, uh, Omni-Man and all these other characters are coming from other parts of different games and other universes to be in here with the way they've laid down the story. 
there is no reason why canon wise they won't fit everyone fits when you retcon it and make it a multiverse conversation that makes it dope because then it's not a thing where you're like well like they had in in mk11 you're like well mortal like terminator doesn't fit in this world that doesn't make a lot of sense robocop doesn't make a lot of sense in this world in this world where everything goes because of Liu Kang's ability to pull in from the multiverse, basically, anybody fits. And that's kind of a dope way to think about the way that these characters are going to kind of come to the game. I'm going to be playing this thing for a long period of time. I'm going to be enjoying the hell out of this for a very long time. I've had a blast just in the past day and a half of playing invasions and playing people. I played a couple of folks online, like blessing and I from kind of funny, got some games in, and those were amazing and fun. And, and, and folks from IGN got some games in already, but mega kudos to all the folks over at WB and over the, all the folks at nether realm, Ed Boone again, ha- and that team has again made a banger of a game where we're only seeing and scratching the top layer of this because the stream monsters haven't gotten into it yet. The fighting game community is now just getting their codes and labbing right now to get all the combos that we'll be using later on in our gameplay online and offline. So this is the most important and and exciting time for a fighting game is when all the folks are now just getting their first copies of the game and are learning and labbing and doing all that work. So I'm infinitely excited for what this game is going to wind up being. And I'm going to be a Raiden MK main for a long, a long period of time. So thank you to everybody at WB for providing the early access again. Um, I hope you enjoyed our review and, and thought this was again, worth your time. Uh, I maybe will chunk this out and put this up on YouTube and, and, and talk about it more there. And I'll be talking about it more on stream. I'll be looking to play with a bunch of folks as well uh, to get some games in for for that as, as as well. So again, I am having a ridiculous amount of fun with this game. I am so excited to go jump back in and, and play more. I've been doing nothing but thinking about this game since I got code for it. And literally right after this, I'm going to go upstairs to, to, to my living room and play more of this and play this on my big TV and, and get more games in. Um, so that's this episode of spawn on me i hope you had a blast hanging out with me i hope you are uh, checking out the show sharing the show on spotify and all the other places where the show resides we fixed some of the technical issues for for the show uh so we had a much better experience so you will be getting a video version of the show on 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 our uh channels there uh check out a video that i also put out on uh, our twitter account on the Khalif adams twitter account go follow me at Khalif adams where i showed you some of my combos i was labbing some uh with raiden so you can check that out and, and, and tell me i'm a scrub and then call me a shill for getting a code for starfield <laughs> But all that to say is, I hope you have a wonderful week. I hope you have a momentous week. I've been playing a ton of NBA 2K. I just got a code for Lies of P that I need to go and start. I still haven't even dug into Armored Core yet. And we're still in the review season. It is going to be a wild 2023, to say the least, in terms of what this uh, gaming industry is going to give us with lots of dope games to play. If you're out there saying that you don't have a game to play, you're a goddamn liar. <laughs> All that to say, hope you have a wonderful week. Please go share the show, download the show, subscribe to our channel, subscribe and become a person who's you know, sharing that out. Give us a five-star review on Apple, on Apple Podcasts. 
all of those things uh, to give us more visibility so that when people are like, I don't know who Khalif is, why he get a code? You'd be like, look at his podcast. He does all this work and all these five-star reviews. So you can tell him now who the hell we are, who Chicago is and all that good stuff. So that's all that. We'll give you much love and we'll see you all. Wash your hands, wash your butt. Shout out to StinkyButt69. Go look at IGN's uh, Unlocked. You'll understand where they came from. And we'll see you all very, very soon. And next week, we'll have more goodness to share. Much love to you all. Peace.